Bonjour à tous et bienvenue sur le podcast de Soul Simple, l'émission qui va au fond des choses. Soul Simple. Hello everyone and welcome back to Soul Sample, the podcast. I'm Elsa, your host, and today I have the pleasure to start the interview series with Ben Balgieri. He's an English teacher in Shanghai and much more. We're going to discover all this in the interview. I had the chance to meet Ben through my friend Astrid during the lockdown earlier this year and he's um, actually one of the most interesting meetings that I had <laughs> during the lockdown. We were talking with my friend about anxiety and she referred him to me as he was knowing about breathing techniques. So we actually started a coaching session which appeared to be very, very um, helpful and efficient in my life. and also staying home and having a hundred thoughts a minute so that helped me a lot to organize myself thank you again ben for the chat i really enjoyed it i'll see you soon and guys thank you for listening to the first interview of soul sample the podcast hope you enjoy it don't forget to subscribe share talk about it to your friends and i'll talk to you soon Part one. Mm, how many interviews do you think you did in your life? Oh, how many interviews have I done? Um, in this context or in a broader context? Anything. How many How many how times do you have to be interviewed? I don't know, probably around about a dozen now. Um, a thousand? A dozen. Like a 12, dozen. Twelve or so. Mm. Um, I went for a lot of jobs when I graduated. <laughs> Obviously didn't get very many of them. Because <laughs> um, I graduated in... Yeah, 2013, and didn't mm -hmm. make didn't make the most of like my my time in like the summers and that in uni. So having like the internship experience, the work experience, and that meant that the job hunt initially was a little bit took a little bit longer than I was expecting. So fair few interviews there that didn't necessarily go anywhere, mm. which was I mean it's just part of the process, isn't it? You're young and you think it's oh I've graduated, I'm like I've I've got I'm this degree, have a job. I'm gonna have a job, and then yeah. you realise that the world doesn't work like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what school did you do again? I was at Loughborough, Loughborough University. Loughborough. Loughborough. Yeah. Loughborough in the UK. Yes. And so how 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 rated is is the school? Do you think um, it's like a yeah, it's, it's a it's a really good school. I think yeah. they've been they've been doing really well since I left. I think they're top top 10 universities in the uk um maybe even top five now um, ah, and did you choose the school on purpose um yeah i chose loughborough because it is it's the the best sporting university in the uk sporting. so they, they're, they're, the sports facilities are literally second to none so they've got like a full-size athletic stadium there was an amazing strength and conditioning center there as well they do lots of work with team gb um and like the olympics and that Um, lots of sports governing bodies are based there as well, like um, UK Triathlon have an office there. So you've always been interested in 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 sports. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Ever How since far? I was, ever since I was a kid, um, my my parents used to send me out running because I had too much energy as a child. Mm. Just go and run around the fields or something, and then that. What, do you remember your first run? 
Oh, Christ, there's a question. Um, I don't remember the first one, but I do have memories of being out in... So I live in, in the countryside in the UK, um, surrounded by greenery and fields. I was very, very fortunate to, to grow up in that area. And I remember being out in a thunderstorm, running through the <laughs> field, being slightly paranoid that I was at the top of a hill and that I might end up being struck by lightning and then coming home and being absolutely so covered in mud Shit. and then like coming in and my mum just looking at me is like, what have you what been doing been out there? Like, Hi mum, I had a really good time. <laughs> oh, so that pushed you to, yeah. to run really fast. Yeah, and just like, I'm, I'm 95% sure that I fell over a fair few times as well. So I'm just like caked in mud and Damn. yeah, but that was... How old was I then? I was probably around about 12, 13 or something like that. Interesting. So, so you said that you were, uh, you had too much energy. Were you like a, how do you call that? Like TDHD? ADHD. ADHD. Um, I don't think so. I mean... I, that's how we call it now yeah yeah i mean i guess i guess maybe there were some some tendencies i mean i was sometimes i could be quite a good student sometimes i was easily distracted um and i guess to a certain extent that's just what it's like being a student but i remember when i hit when i hit puberty and then hormones and that start flying around the body it's just like i have so much energy that mm. i need to do something with um and like that that's where this, mm. this so long love affair with sport started, I think. So that was the first, your first call was this. Yeah. And what else did you do to, to manage your energy? Um, did you do something else? Got, or so just... I, I was, I played rugby from when I was very young, um, mm -hmm. from the age of eight up until the age of 16. Wow. Eight. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember playing on, playing on Sundays with um, going down, going down to the rugby fields with my dad. Um, and traveling to like away games and tournaments and that sort of thing and just being cold and wet and miserable and having an absolutely wonderful time for it um, and then I got injured in, when I was 16 did something to my knee which then put me in the gym because it was like well I can't play at the moment I'm just going to focus on getting stronger and then fell in love with the gym and then uh -huh. went back to playing rugby and realized that I quite enjoyed not being injured and not being covered in bruises because I was being hit by people who were six inches taller than me and 30 yeah. kilos heavier. It's like, you know what? I'm done. I don't need to play anymore. <laughs> and then, yeah, from there, it was just it was the gym. So I got heavily into bodybuilding when I was at university. I got heavily into powerlifting. Um, then invariably ended up doing CrossFit. Um, yeah, where did you start CrossFit? Because I know that from you from here mm. um crossfit would have been it kind of felt as a little bit like a natural evolution from the the bodybuilding and the powerlifting because when i was at uni i was training with lots of guys who were kind of in that very strict mentality of like no cardio anything over 10 reps is cardio you don't need to be doing it focused entirely on getting like as big and strong as possible um but prior to lifting running was the thing that I used to love doing and I used to really enjoy the process of just like getting my heart rate up and just suffering mm. for it. Um, so CrossFit kind of fit was the best of both worlds yeah. for me. It's like I get to throw weight around and I get my heart rate up. It was it was like a, a yeah. perfect combo for me. And then 
that was at the time that I was training for training for the Marines as well. So it was like the perfect combination for training-wise. Mm. So you already knew before. Um, what was my question? When you say bodybuilding, mm. you, you mean like the actual thing you yeah. see on TV? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the veins. So I never, <laughs> I never competed. Um, I never really wanted to compete. I never really felt the need to to step on a stage, as it were, because I was I was doing it for me. Um, but the the process of continually exposing your body to a stimulus that you are designing. Um, in conjunction with the care and attention that you start paying to your diet and what you're putting into your body. Yeah. Then being able to witness the changes. Like sometimes it can literally be visual changes happening Mm. overnight. Like when you start, when I started getting really lean, for example, like if I ate a big meal and then went to sleep and then I had like the right amount of salt, the right amount of water, you'd wake up and you'd look visually different. Mm. Um, being able to witness those changes and then also like keeping a logbook of um, numbers for lifts and that sort of thing. Mm. You can like, if you look at it on like a micro level, like on a daily basis, oh, that was a bad session. That was a good session. I did this, this, this. Yeah, you can have a journal. Exactly, you have a journal. So like it can be, you can get so tied up in whether or not you had a good gym session. But then if you're keeping a journal, you can zoom out. It's like, okay, that was a bad one. But if we look at my trajectory, yeah, for the past, like, yeah, six yeah. months or so, I'm able good. to do X with something that I wasn't able to do anything with mm. before. Mm. So that, that was the thing that really appealed to me because it was um, something that I could take full control over. And then the results that I was getting from it were directly proportional to directly proportionate to the work that I was putting in Mm. and that could have been work in terms of a diet that could have been work in terms of like actual physical work um that could have been work in terms of recovery because sleep and recovery are a huge thing as well as I need to sleep more awful terrible what a awful thing to have to do but if I was able to dial these things in then the results that I was getting were that much better Mm. Interesting. And in terms of, of diet, so you mm. mentioned you had a lot of protein. A lot of protein. Um, How is this? Yeah, so I was, I told you before, um, the, the I'll, dig, I'll dig, into, the, <laughs> dig into the ice cream company. Minute, <laughs> um, myself and my housemate, um, in our last year, we were getting through so much meat, which like thinking back now is like the, just the sheer volume of meat that we were eating was just completely unnecessary um but it worked out to probably around about five kilos for me a week um five kilos of meat five kilograms of chicken breast just chicken breast so that for was one person for one person Jesus for a week Christ. and then he was eating probably seven and a half just kilos like as well. chicken and a half. exactly exactly like a couple of chicken breasts for every single meal and there were like six meals a day or something like uh, that. wow huge quantities of food um it and was the just, eggs? again wholly wholly unnecessary and then oh eggs God. as well but like um, you do like those guys who break like Oh, more eggs, eggs in the morning? No, no, God, no. Oh, God, <laughs> I tried it once and never wanted to try it ever Ew. again. <laughs> nah, that's gross. It did not go down well. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> so, you could see the impact on your body yes. with all this food and all this, you know, and like, how mm. does it 
feel? I don't know. I, th I think, well, I, I say it because I think now of the, all those, um, of those athletes being vegan, mm -hmm. going on vegan mm -hmm. diet, and they have still the same result, but yeah. at the same time, they look less buff or, le mm -hmm. you know, more. So I, I think there's, there is definitely something to be said for um, adopting dietary changes, because as I said, like what, what we were eating, wholly unnecessary. Mm. Like, and the idea that that was the correct thing to be doing, that was the right amount of food to be eating, that was the right amount of protein mm. to be taking in and everything, stemmed from the fact that there is just so much information out there in regard to fitness and bodybuilding and powerlifting all of that yeah. sort of stuff it's very difficult to sometimes know what is correct exactly where did you get this information so, i can't even remember it would have been like you bodybuilding would... sites or something like that but exactly equally at the time this was when the use of um anabolic steroids and that was still very kind of yeah hush hush yeah. everyone would just deny it was happening yeah when, looking back you look at pictures of these individuals like there is no way in hell that you're able to look like that without some exactly without some <laughs> sort of help without yeah, some yeah, sort yeah. of help so you have you're reading recommendations for the amount of protein that you should be taking in and these are recommendations for individuals who probably got some sort of pharmaceutical help yeah but you're not pharmaceutically helped and you're taking in the same amount which means that you're just wasting huge amounts because your body just cannot make use of it in the same way as these individuals yeah. So, in regard to like the vegan athletes and and such, now I think I I think it's great. I mean, at the end of the day, your body only really recognizes macronutrients mm. and quality of protein and quality of nutrients um, obviously plays a big role. Like carbohydrates, carbohydrate, but then there's obviously a big difference between sugar and like a starch in terms of the impact it's going to have on your body, but from a protein standpoint there's all sorts of plant-based alternatives out there now yeah that would be more than sufficient for probably 90 percent of the population and i'm pulling that statistic out of my ass so it might it might, it yeah. might be ass, but like there are so many plant-based alternatives out there now that i mean i'm i'm not vegan but i I've cut down the amount of meat that I'm eating hugely recently. Um, I don't really feel any different for it. Mm. I still eat it occasionally when I want something, but I'm not it, like I was at uni, basing my meals around how many chicken breasts I need to consume to get the right number of bro like grams yeah, of protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now exactly. it's, just more it's a hell of a lot more sustainable now. Mm. Yeah, right. It, did China change this habit? Or? Ooh, that's a good question. Did China change my eating habits? Um... Yeah. Yes and no. Um, yes, because when I was at home, I was eating a lot more beef because beef is readily available in the UK. It's cheap. Mm. Um, whereas here, it's premium. It's expensive. Um, and then also, the, the food quality here can be a little bit suspect. And I didn't really want to be eating vast quantities of meat that may potentially be laced with <laughs> hormones and stuff like that. So, or like I'm monkey eating meat or something. Like, who knows what I'm eating? Is so what, what meat is this? Is it pork? Are you sure? It doesn't yeah, really it taste doesn't like It doesn't look like it. It doesn't taste know. like Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in that 
regard, yeah, it has changed. It has changed my eating habits. I'm I'm eating a lot less meat than yeah. I was before. I think I think a it's a case a for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, you never know what you're gonna get sometimes. And equally, like when you when you arrive and you more often than not cannot speak a word of Chinese. Yeah. Um if you go into like a restaurant or if you buy some food from like one of those hole in the wall places where they've got everything prepared, you don't know what you're getting most of the time. Yeah. And some people are comfortable with that and they're like they like rolling the dice and you go on this kind of magical culinary adventure whereby you have no idea what you're eating ninety percent of the time, which is what I did when I arrived. Yeah. Um same. but then there's other people where it's like who are not comfortable with that. So you and that's fair enough. Like not everyone yeah. has to be comfortable they with it. Didn't so, try all the Chinese exactly. food. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then that's gonna end up changing your eating habits as well. Yeah, my mm-hmm. question. Um yeah. concerning doing sports when did it become something else than losing energy mm. when when did it become like did it act yes did it become something else like i want to do it because i want to be stronger or because mm-hmm. i want to look like mm-hmm. like this or i want like you have so, role models yeah or? good question um for me i think that transition really happened when i was around about like 14 15 Um, because that was when I was able to, I was old enough to, to join the gym. Um, and I think at the time as a, as a young boy, um, I think young boys are kind of exposed to the, the same sort of, obviously not the same, but similar problems to young girls in that you're confronted with images of people who you feel you should look like. So, um, in the same way that there's often quite a large conversation happening around unrealistic standards of female beauty that young girls are being exposed to, which can lead to problems with like self-esteem and um, problems with body image and so on and so forth. I think those problems also exist in young boys. Of course. Exactly. I mean, and, of yeah. course. But I, the conversation isn't necessarily being had in quite the same way. No, um, not at all. <laughs> and I think I, I struggle with that. Definitely, because I was I was a little bit fat when I was a kid, and I got teased a bit. There was a little bit of bullying, mm. um, and being able to go to the gym for me was a way that I could kind of take a hold of that problem. And then, as yeah. I was saying before, like my ability to solve the problem was directly proportionate to the amount of work that I was willing to put in and the changes that I was willing to make. So it was um, really fast for you. Exactly. It was exactly. effective. And exactly. And then yeah. I found that the the lessons that you learn in the gym carry over into near enough all facets of life. So there is this notion of kind of sets and reps. So when you go into a gym and you see like the strongest guy in there and you see mm. him lifting this ridiculous amount of weight and you mm. think, oh, wow, I'm never going to be able to do that. But what you don't see is the amount of work it's taken to get there. Like he wouldn't have gone in on his first day and been able to do that. For sure. Um, so did you actually go to the guy and say, how How, how did you do it? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Oh, yeah? Exactly, yeah. So you go That's and ask him, like, how on earth did you do that? And then it's just a case of sets <laughs> and reps. So you turn up every day. You put in the work, you work out what work you need to do, you do the work and then you repeat over and over and over again. And as soon as I got into my head that that's all it was, then you start looking at everything in that way. Mm. Everything at all. So at the time, I wasn't a great student when I was at school. 
because I was a little bit lazy. I was a little bit rebellious. I didn't like listening to the teachers because I didn't think they knew what they were talking about, which in some cases they definitely didn't. Um, <laughs> um, but oh, wow. then mm. you like the lessons that I was learning in in the weight room, as it were, um, started carrying over into my schoolwork as well. It's like, and then you start listening to like your internal dialogue um, in that it's like, I can't do this. And you start telling yourself, it's like, well, why can't I do it? And it's like, I can't, I'm saying that I can't do it because I'm not very good at it. But I wasn't very good at this, this lift when I first started lifting. And now it's one of my favorite things and I'm getting quite strong at it. And what was the, what did I do there? And what can I do here? Well, I did loads of work. Okay. What can I do? How can I work harder with this? What could I change about my approach? Is there something different that I can do? And then being able to kind of make that transition, being able to apply that mentality to, to other things, everything then becomes so much easier. How can you think like this at 14 years old? Oh, this was like 16. This took me a couple of years still, to, to make that still, transition. You're not great. Um, 16 years old is like grade 10. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like who, who taught you to think this way? Who inspired you to actually have this kind of, of conversation with yourself i think that is a very good question indeed wow um i think it kind of stems back to a conversation that i probably had with my dad when mm. i was younger um and i mentioned before that i've been i struggled a little bit with like bullying and to feel like yeah yeah i want to go back to that, that sort of thing mm. um there was, when I was playing rugby, there was an individual who always used to, to, to kind of single me out and pick on me. Um, and I was really struggling with this individual. Um, and I remember like getting progressively worse and worse and just not really knowing how to deal with it. Um, and then having that conversation with my dad, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how do I, what am I doing wrong here? Am I doing something wrong? Is there something else? It's like... And it then transpired as we kind of spoke about this that the thing that I was worrying about was this individual's opinion of me. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was just a simple question. It was like, well, what's your opinion of yourself? He asked you yeah, that. You're Wow. Yeah, so what's your opinion That's of yourself? What's your, what, do you, what do you think about yourself? And he's like, well, what do I think about myself? Because I'd never thought about myself before. Of course. Really, in that because you're young, it's like you, you don't know, you don't of... have this understanding yeah. that you yeah. have an opinion of yourself, and that opinion of yourself plays into everything. It's like, okay, what do you think about yourself? And also, whose opinion is more important? Like, his or yours? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> his or yours? This is so smart. And then, like, as a kid, wow. it's, just like, it's just like an absolute revelation. This was this was probably around, a, around a similar age. So, like, 14 when I was still playing rugby. My um, God. And then just having, having the wherewithal to kind of take that moment of clarity is like, my opinion of myself is the most important thing here. Like people can think whatever they want about me. And the only way that opinion is going to have an impact is if I buy into it. If I also believe what they think, if I choose not to believe it, then it doesn't really matter what they think. They can think what they like, because yeah. I'm not going to know or care. Mm. And then having that idea that, my opinion of myself was the most important thing. My opinion of myself and my self-esteem um, then 
got tied into that kind of then fed back, fed back into the weight room because it was like I'm doing things that are hard and I'm getting better at them and by doing hard things your self-esteem invariably increases because you do things like mm. you know, this is like the, the notion of the comfort zone you do things that are difficult and by completing the difficult things you think more of yourself because it's like oh wow I actually did that yeah for sure and then you keep doing that over and over and, and <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> oh <laughs> you keep doing these hard things and your opinion of yourself increases and then you start looking for other hard things that aren't necessarily in the sporting sense <clears throat> and then yeah you okay. want to challenge yourself exactly yeah? so where do mm. these hard things come from what do i find difficult and then finding the things that i found difficult and then doing the things that i found difficult and not necessarily being particularly good at them, but looking for the difficult things as opposed to looking for the easy things. I think this is very interesting. That was really f smart from your dad to say that and to good like jab, put it? it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just putting the things in front of you and be like, yeah, this is the thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's in that. it, yeah, in a really smart way. And I'd be like, yeah, you know, you're gonna fight. He's better than this, or it's, it's very like. Yeah, yeah it was wow. a, and there was another part to it as well. He's like, look, there are always going to be individuals like this. Not necessarily this individual, yeah. but there are always going to be individuals of this nature who are going to seek to put you down in some way. Yeah, and that's not necessarily anything to do with you. That's always that may end up being something to do with them. It may end up being a projection. You didn't use that term, but mm. it may end up being a projection. And if you can understand that this, though this situation is unique, this situation is something that you will be exposed to over and over and over again. And that the fact that in this given situation, this the specific context that he t kind of taught me this lesson in, the fact that your opinion is more important than theirs in this context, if you can understand that, then you understand it in all contexts that you're going to come up against this. So any time that you are come up against this, like the bully archetype, as it were, mm. where someone is seeking to make you feel small or make you mm -mm -mm. feel lesser or put you down in some way, that their opinion fundamentally does not matter. Mm. Your opinion of yourself is more important. Mm. And how do you build your own that's then kind of feeds back into the doing hard things do hard things because why because it makes you... you feel good do things that you don't think you can do and then do them because then if you so complete made them you feel good to yeah do exactly hard exactly because you, you do you put yourself in situations whereby you think you might fail well not necessarily fail you know you're going to struggle you're going yeah. to have to push against something because yeah. if if there's no push, if you're not pushing against something and it's it's an e if it's yeah. easy, if it's a walk in the park, then why on earth would you want to do it? But if there's that little bit of struggle, yeah, so, doing yeah. those things and then seeing them through to the end, um, and then it's like, oh wow, I actually did that. Okay, and mm. you look for the next thing, mm. and you look for the next thing. Mm. You keep kind of pushing these incremental things, and then over time, though, compared to somebody else, um, the things that you are completing may seem easy for you they were difficult but then you keep increasing that difficulty you keep increasing that difficulty you keep increasing that difficulty same as the weight room that's you keep increasing <laughs> the weight you keep increasing the weight you keep pushing it yeah that's and a then, big challenge and then eventually you're doing things that you never thought that you'd be capable yeah. of 
and yeah. it's you're that you're the biggest guy in the room yeah you're that person who when the new guy comes in they think oh my god how on earth are they doing that you're doing those things because you've taken those incremental steps over and over and over and over again and that's amazing i think at this age to think about this um uh, did you do it to please someone else at one time like you're at the gym and you're like i'm gonna no. Lift this just because I'm going to show him. I I can't say 100% no because I would be lying if I said that part of the reason that I started lifting wasn't to impress girls. So there was was definitely definitely a little bit of that at the beginning. But then you learn that, again, you're still currying other people's favor. You're still trying to improve someone else's opinion of yourself. Mm-hmm. of you as opposed to improving your own opinion of yourself you're still looking for that kind of acceptance yeah. that affirmation yeah. yeah so you quickly i quickly learned i was lucky that i quickly learned that it's it was two sides of the of same coin i was mm. instead of it being a bully i was looking for someone else's approval mm. and it was it's it's the same thing at the end of the day their opinion doesn't really matter mm. Ah, yeah, I, I had many questions, but yeah, uh, going back to, okay, two questions. One is, it, one is how big is the competition between men at this point? So you're 15, 16, 17, and how big is this game? You're kind of a, in a, a state of mind where you're pretty peaceful and be like, I I'm going to do my thing and stuff, but um, how big? I think it it depends it can depend quite heavily on um on your social surroundings so if you're if you're heavily involved in sports like yeah. competitive sport um then there is going to be kind of competition on a day-to-day basis but it, it's not necessarily detrimental mm. um because competition can go one of two ways it can be it can end up being unhealthy where you are seeking to beat someone else yeah which kind of with sport you yeah. you're kind of aiming yeah. for but it's it's when the focus becomes all about beating someone else and then your perceptions of your self-worth revolve around you being better than other people mm. as opposed to being better than you were the day before yeah so i think I I wasn't able to make that distinction. That was another that was that happened later that the real competition didn't lie with the other person. The real competition lay with me. I wasn't able to make that distinction when I was when I was like 15, 16 um because like you're young and you're full of hormones and testosterone is flying around you just want to beat everyone at everything. <laughs> um <laughs> But then as you as I got a bit older, you, you realise that that's where the competition lies because if you're able to keep beating yourself, then that feeds back into the, the feelings of self-worth, the, the feelings yeah, of agency, yeah, yeah. building that yeah. opinion of yourself. Being competitive with yourself is incredibly powerful. Being competitive to the detriment of other people yeah. can be incredibly toxic. It is. Because there's always going to be someone who's better than you. So if your identity is tied to beating other people and you come up against it's someone you cannot beat, thing. everything's going to fall over. Yeah. Definitely. That's a good state of mind. And so what was you I've say- got one little caveat there, yes. right, see. <laughs> it's I'm not saying that it is not nice to win. Because <laughs> winning is fantastic. Mm. And self esteem. Exactly. It's yeah. it's amazing. 
But equally, if your identity is tied to winning and then you come up against a loss, you end up with the same problems. Because you're not prepared. Exactly. And exactly. then it hits you in the exactly. face and you're just... Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Mm. Mm. That's good. But it needs a lot of... Um, I have so many questions right now. <sighs> but so how do you manage this? How do you... Who keeps you stable in this, you know? Because you go to the school, you're 15, you have mm -hmm. plenty of friends, you go to the school, mm -hmm. middle school mm -hmm. still, you know? So it's the age of, you know, you don't even think of, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how it was in the UK, but at my age, we were so innocent mm -hmm. at that age, you know, not going out, not smoking, not blah, blah, blah no. you know, but just plenty of friends yep. and everybody's just comparing because, yeah, the age of hormones and mm -hmm. oh, I like this uh, person but I don't know how to tell yeah. can you help me and you know all these kind of things so I was I and you like yeah. going to the gym so and I, the, like, I grew so up serious. Um, in I grew up in the in the countryside so for all of my all of my middle school experience um, I was living in, it wasn't necessarily isolated because it was easy enough for me to get to and from places but at times I was relative, not so much alone, but I lived far enough away from my friends yeah. that it yeah, wasn't yeah. always convenient for me to kind of just go and hang out. Yeah, um, I know that. <laughs> you know, I've, yeah. I've always been very independent. Um, and then I would just, like you, you, I ended up just filling my time other ways and being far away from, play, not necessarily far away, but far enough away is like, I'm just gonna like hop on my bike and cycle somewhere because I, if I want to get there, then I'm gonna have to get myself there because my parents are gonna be busy and I, I know where I live is safe enough that I can do it by myself. That's no issue. So mm. it's like, and then I'll run or like I'll cycle somewhere and then you're coming home from school again because of um, parents' work schedules and so on. It wasn't always convenient for me to go and hang out with friends after school. So yeah. well, like the gym is on my bus route. I might as well. I'll nip in afterwards and then my dad will be able to come and pick me up because it'll be more convenient for him to come mm. pick me up and then I get to spend some time with him as well. Mm. Um, and then you just kind of get into a bit of a routine and then you end up building a different friendship group because I'm in there, yeah, right. in there all but the time. More, more mature people, exactly. no? Because exactly. yeah. I guess like you could, like 15 year old at yeah. the gym. Yeah, consistently, yeah. <laughs> You're the only one there, yeah. no? And then the same thing happened when I went to went to college as well. Um, I'm an August baby, so the the option to go out drinking and that throughout college, so A levels, um, wasn't an option. wasn't really an option for me because for my entirety of my first year I was 16, so I wouldn't have been allowed in. For the entirety of my second year, I was 17, so I wouldn't have been allowed in. Mm. And then I was 18 after I'd finished. So going out yeah, wasn't yeah. really something that I was able to do <laughs> yeah, because yeah. I'd have had to like somehow manage to get hold of a fake ID. And then at the time, I was also still living far enough away that yeah, it just yeah. wouldn't have been practical because I... If I'm like 16, 17, I don't really want to be calling my parents at like two o'clock in the morning when I'm absolutely wasted saying, can you come pick me up? Mm. I'm drunk or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... I again just filled my time with the gym because there was a gym at school. There was a gym at college as well. Um, mm. Learned a lot from the the woman who ran it, Jenny. I can still remember her name. She was a <laughs> lovely lady. She taught me an awful lot. Um, but then there were other guys in there as well who'd been doing a similar thing in the year. And then you end up meeting like-minded individuals who are not necessarily interested in just 
in going out, smoking, drinking, yeah, yeah. whatever. So pretty healthy yeah. Yeah. at that moment. Yeah. Okay. Just want to go back to bullying. How is it? How do you, because, so I'm a dean of students, so mm-hmm. I do deal with that yeah. sometimes, not, not that often, um, but it's uh, important and mm-hmm. I know how big it can impact kids, yeah. impact um, in many ways and just mm-hmm. how, how do you build yourself uh, on top of that, after that, how do you grow with self-esteem? How do you mm. like yourself? How do you not see what this person is pointing at, yeah. at you, you know? And um, yeah, you said you were overweight or... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, so how? I was a portly child. I was I was a little bit around, I remember. Um, it was like, this was before, before puberty, so like 11, 12, when I first started in middle school, um, being a little bit, little bit, little bit fat. Mm. Um, and then like obviously hormones start going around so I, I lost all the puppy fat and then I like body changes shape very very quickly but mm. at the very beginning um, just being picked on a little bit I was a little bit I, I didn't have a huge amount of confidence um, because I was very independent but on the flip side of that the reason I was so independent is because I lived somewhere relatively isolated so in terms of confidence in social situations maybe yeah. it wasn't where it You're would not be really. otherwise yeah um so then that lack of confidence that then manifests in as social awkwardness i wasn't necessarily able to talk to people um and then coupled with the fact that you're being bombarded with these like your what your image is supposed to look like and when you're you're a young kid you're not able to figure out that that's not reality that's not what it's supposed to be like um Mm, you just absorb it exactly exactly and then you get like the occasional comments that are being made and then that can then grow into something more severe um again i'm very fortunate that i had my dad that i was able to talk to um and have these have these conversations with um but yeah it was difficult it was tough can you can you give me an example of how it would happen or or was it one person was it a group of people was it girls was it generally it was social exclusion so um there will be things that were going on and individuals it was uh, i don't i can't even remember if it was like a group or individuals um it would be it would be done in such a way that i would know something was going on i would know that there was some sort of social event but then they would make a point to make Mm. it abundantly clear that i was not invited to it Mm. when loads of my friends would have been and they're kind of they felt like they were kind of singling me out and making it clear that I was not invited to whatever was going on and doing it in such a way that it just makes you feel awful when you're a kid. It's like why aren't why am I not being included? It's like is there something wrong with Rejection. me? Am I doing right. something wrong? Am I behaving in a weird way? And it's just But then there's no bullying in like the traditional sense it's not like i'm having people call me names it's not like i'm being physically picked on it's not okay like, okay it okay. was it wasn't okay. like that it was literally it was just social exclusion yeah. on such a consistent basis yeah. that you like, just end up feeling like awful you, exactly, exactly like people mm. would change around me like conversations would change um like body wow. language and that you, know, like, you don't know what body language is when you're a kid but you, but you, know feel, it. Like, you yeah, feel it exactly. you feel it exactly you feel it you know we don't yeah. know we don't know the theory or the names, yeah. but we feel it. Yeah. I mean, 
who did you talk to at this at this time? Did you have like a best friend or a teacher or um, apart from your parents or your dad? I would say. Yeah, I spoke to mom as well. Yeah, I did, I did yeah. speak to mom as well, but it was it was mainly my parents that I spoke to, um, yeah. because it just felt like an easy. It was an easier thing to do because, like the. I had a best friend, Alex, who I'm still very close with. Um, it wasn't sometimes that he was kind of involved in it, but he would be someone who would sometimes be invited to those things. And yeah. I wouldn't be. So it was like, okay, this is like a little bit too close. In, yeah. And when you're a 13 year old, like you don't necessarily know how to make that distinction. And yeah. you don't know why it would feel weird talking with this person, but it doesn't feel weird talking with this person because yeah. you don't quite understand the social mm-hmm. dynamics of the situation. Um, so it was mainly my parents that I spoke to about mm-hmm. it. Um, and I'm very fortunate that both my parents are still together. They have a very good relationship. I have a very good relationship with them. Um, I'm hugely grateful for that. Um, but yeah, they were, yeah, they were That's super good. helpful. And they continue to be super helpful. I mean, I'm yeah, 28 now I mean, and I still chat to my mum. Like, before coming here, I had a rant on the phone to my mum. And it was like, no, it's all right. And it was, I'm glad you called me. It's nice Aww. to hear you talk, even if you were just swearing at me down the phone. I know it wasn't <laughs> about me, though, so that's okay. <laughs> that's good. That's good. That's yeah. that's good to have this stability. And uh, also it, because the, the home is safe. Yeah, exactly. You know? So Exactly. So. Like I, Over time, um, as I've got older, I've become more and more appreciative of that relationship because like when you're a kid you don't know what it is because it's like oh, they're my parents they're always going to be there and then you go through yeah. your adolescent years and as a teenager like, oh god I hate my parents they yeah. don't understand me um, yeah. and then you kind of come through the other side and I, you realize just quite how much they've done for you <laughs> in and like and everyone's parents do the best they can but that's like they're doing they do the best, the they, best can. they can they're doing the best they, they can have. exactly yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. that so yeah. everyone's situation is going to be different everyone's experience mm. is going to be different mm. but mm. whatever your situation whatever that is was the best that they could do and that's great like that's fantastic so i am hugely grateful for that and i think ironically i'm now probably closer to my parents than i was before i left for china even though i'm like nine thousand kilometers away like they're still in the uk um locked down with the corona at the moment <laughs> they haven't yeah. got corona but they're still locked down yeah. um and yeah i feel closer to them now in 2020 than when i left in yeah. august 2017 yeah because you appreciate those relationships and so much it, more. it's still building even yeah. if you know yeah even if it's not physically close um so you didn't have like breakdowns of school where you had to go to talk to someone or anything like this i just went to the gym <laughs> literally oh. i literally just went so to the gym so you used the gym yeah to... exactly so if i was okay. feeling frustrated like i might go and speak to like the trainer or something and like, it's like i'm I'm not having a great day like is there anything that you could you suggest that i do that will help me kind of feel a little bit better so like, yeah you could do this exercise and then she kind, of, she kind of like coached me through it and that sort of thing or some of the other guys as well it's like i just want to i want to sweat i want to suffer at the moment what can i do wow. um and then you kind of end up with this very supportive community um, but they didn't know what was going on. I don't need to. Well, they, everyone's going through the same probably, thing. They're yeah. probably, yeah. They probably exactly. Yeah, that's understand. He's like, oh, mm. this guy's having a shit day. He's yeah. like, go and do this. You'll feel better yeah. afterwards. Yeah. Interesting. So, apart from Alex, you don't have any guys to talk to. Not a. There was a couple, but Alex was the closest. Yeah. Alex was my closest friend. So you don't even remember having to say to a friend, a boy friend, mm-hmm. saying those guys 
are acting wrong with me no. and I feel shitty and no. I wanna whatever cry. No, no never. No, no. I, don't, I don't remember. I don't remember this ever having a conversation of that nature. But I think like also that probably says something again about my parents because I never felt the need to because I oh, felt like yeah. I had yeah. Yeah, I had enough. the support that I needed outside so I didn't need to raise it with them and yeah. also like relationships between between teenagers and relationships between teenage boys especially like they're a little bit weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> because like ways exactly like you're you're not you're still developing yourself so you don't necessarily know where you stand with people because and that makes perfect sense because everyone's brain is a mess in terms of wiring at that Mm. point so people can change like that Mm. um so those the deeper conversations that would have entailed if i were to broach that sort of subject with them just probably wouldn't have worked and i didn't really need to do it because i was lucky enough that i had the support system elsewhere yeah 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 what about your little brother you have a little brother yeah i do i do have a little brother liam yeah we um we used to fight a hell of a lot (laughs) Um, yeah we did we did not see eye to eye for a very very long period of time um now though super close um sometimes i don't speak to him for for an extended period of time but it doesn't matter really like it doesn't affect anything, it doesn't yeah? it doesn't affect it, like, he's in the uk he's in the uk yes he's working in london he graduated last year he's four years younger than me near respect three years and nine months um but now much much closer much much closer to him he went through um a period of very severe depression um in when was that when would that have been probably 2015 2015 sort of time 2015 16 um and i'd gone through a similar experience not quite of the same magnitude as Mm. his um beforehand and i remember feeling huge amounts of guilt because when i was working in london he'd gone off to university and i didn't hear from him and then you think oh my younger brother's gone to university i haven't heard it from him for a bit he must be having a great time that's fine i'll catch up with him at some point Mm -mm -mm. um and then it transpired further down the line that that was not the case at all like he was having an absolutely terrible terrible time um and that later transpired that he had some other hormonal problems that were going on as well which probably ended up did contribute to the the state that he ended up Mm. he wound up in um but i remember just feeling hugely guilty that having gone through that depressive experience myself and not seeing the signs Mm. Mm. and feeling partially responsible is like oh my god like i should i I know partially responsible yeah why how so because i felt like i should have seen the signs because looking back when when i found out that the reason he hadn't been responding to me was because he was struggling from like a depression standpoint once i had that all of the things that he'd been doing up until that point just made complete sense yeah and it's like why did i not see it because i did exactly the same thing Mm, mm, mm. i was behaving exactly the same way when i had no idea and i had no idea so that's why i felt kind of partially responsible i should have seen it i should have i should have noticed Mm. i should have been able to do something for him but the way that mental health is and the way that people cope with um depression how they manage it and strategies and that sort of thing fundamentally different the way the way that 
I now come to view it having gone through several depressive episodes in my life that when with family especially you develop over time a toolkit to manage your own Mm. mental health struggles and it doesn't matter how close you are to someone your toolkit isn't going to work for them because their experience is unique to them so the way that i look at it is like you know with um screws you get like the crosshead you get phillips head screws and you get the flathead screws it's Mm. like all of my tools were phillips so all of mine with the cross and all of his were flathead Mm. and all of these things are going to work work, but they just don't fit yeah 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 Mm -hmm. so how how did you help him what did you discover how did you discover i didn't i didn't i found out i found out from mum that he'd been struggling and then he actually ended up in a um in a I guess it was not so much a mental hospital, um, but like a clinic, checked into a private clinic for a month or so. Um, I found that out from mum. And then after that point, like our relationship took on a very different flavour. And then... You know, good or bad? Good. Good, because I think I was, I was an angry kid. I was, I was was very frustrated and angry as a young man. Um, But then you're suddenly confronted with probably for the first time for me um mortality this is my brother and he's really been struggling to the extent that like if he'd carried on going down that road maybe he would have finished it maybe he'd have killed himself Mm. so that at 16 was my first kind of exposure to the the nature of mortality because you think you're invincible when you're a kid like when you're, you don't you're, even think uh, about it yeah. exactly like, you're when you're always, like you're a young away, boy yeah. like you're full of testosterone you feel absolutely unstoppable like you feel invincible nothing is going to crash you like break you down nothing is going to affect you and then you're hit in the face with something like that it's like mm. uh, maybe i've been looking at this all completely wrong um mm. and i think off the back of that um our relationship ended up getting a lot stronger because it's me because i became a lot more supportive. forgiving and a lot more supportive for it and then we when i was working in london we went out on a couple of nights out in london as well and then being able to kind of connect on that level too um was was great because i mean i think you know when you have like really drunk deep conversations with someone mm-hmm. you think are really deep but you're probably just like <laughs> playing around in the shallows sometimes thing. it is exactly sometimes <laughs> it is it's like you yeah. think you're having this deep and profound insightful conversation you're really just kind of talking about what the birds are doing in the smoking yeah, area yeah. or something like that but we had a few of those and then oh, i've just been amazing. able to connect on a much much better how, how intimate then. was this because i i have the feeling mm. from my personal experience that talking about intimate stuff is so difficult yeah yeah i it's think it's so difficult i think the fact that we were intoxicated at that time definitely helps because it breaks down some of those barriers because yeah. yeah. you, you your, your brain you get in your own way 95 percent of the time it's not so much when you're worrying about talking to someone it's not you're not worried about the other person you're worried about what the other person is going to think about what you've said but mm. then you're not worried about that either. You're worried about the fact that you're worrying about the thing that the other person thinks you're going to say. So you end up with this weird kind of meta worry going on. And more often than not, if you just come out and say it, then you'll just feel so much better for oh, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're you're worrying about the reaction that you think that someone else is going to have. Well, how on earth can you predict what reaction someone else is going to have? Mm. You're worrying about something that may or may not happen. And if it does happen, 
was that worry founded in the first place like why why expend the energy on something that is going to happen in the first place yeah it is so much energy overthinking thinking for others thinking about imagining the impossible reaction of something is the word i think and this is what keeps people like uh i don't know this word but you know um this is what makes you being comfortable in talking or talking about yeah saying something to someone you know yeah. how are they gonna judge me how are they gonna interpret that too yeah and that's what anxiety is to a certain extent is you're worrying about something yeah. that may or may not happen in the future and you didn't even know why this is the difference between anxiety and fear no fear yeah. you know the object of fear but Anxiety, anxiety you don't is even kind of know. Generalized thing is like, no, why you scary? Yeah, and that, that's not to kind of downplay how crippling anxiety can be for sure. But when you look at it in its base form, like you're worrying about something that may or may not happen. Yeah, and then you end up worrying about the fact that you're worrying about it. Like, why <laughs> am I worried about, about this? I'm worried that I'm worried. Like, yeah. And then you end up with these layers and layers where you just end up putting yourself in this self-defeating spiral where you get stuck in a loop where you end up worrying about this and this and this, which leads into this and yeah. then leads back to and that. Then and then this is how we get, I call them vices, but mm, this is how yeah. people start to have means of of calming this down, mm-hmm. which is food, alcohol, drugs, yeah. m- sex, whatever yeah. mean they found. Yeah. Um, it's the band-aid isn't it it's like, I feel bad I'm going to do this and distract myself yeah yeah. that's the that's the exactly it's like, I'm feeling bad I'm feeling uncomfortable I think I would like to add um, mobile phones to that list as well it's like, I'm yeah. feeling bad at the moment Facebook or Instagram yeah. or binge something like that. Or whatever. binge whatever just like scroll yeah. through the phone distract me distract me from whatever yeah. it is that I'm feeling and stopping it, you thinking that reminds yeah. me of the, um, the is it, I think it's Descartes the um, all of man's problems stem from his inability to sit in a quiet room by himself everyone all of your issues stem from the fact that you are not able to sit with your thoughts yeah 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 definitely being able to do that and take that step back feel whatever it is that you're feeling in a non-judgmental way i feel bad i shouldn't feel bad now i feel bad that i feel bad and then just being able to kind of hold that space for yourself instead of looking for the vices as you were saying instead of saying i feel bad at the moment i'm gonna go and eat eat drink i do that (laughs) i eat a lot but i'm nervous me too for sure it's awesome (laughs) food's awesome food's fantastic um (laughs) i have a very positive relationship with food now but um (laughs) that was not always the case (laughs) That's that's a whole different kettle of fish um but if like noticing how you're feeling and being able to develop that presence of mind whereby you can identify your emotions but you don't identify with your emotions mm-hmm. that is and that can sound like callous is like, what do you mean like are you choosing not to feel it's like no 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 mm. you are you're feeling it you're sitting but with you're those feelings it. you're accepting yeah, it yeah, though. you're yeah. not running from it you're yeah. letting those emotions pass but then you're not holding on to them when they've gone so if you're feeling good, great. Feel good in that moment, but then don't chase the high. If you're feeling bad, okay. Let yourself feel bad, but don't wallow in it. Mm. If you're feeling angry, fine. You're allowed to feel angry, but don't hold on to that rage. Yeah. 
yeah. if you're feeling fear then okay it's okay to feel fear but then don't be consumed by it like mm. it's being able to acknowledge those mm. experiences acknowledge those emotions and then once whatever the stimulus is has gone once those feelings let start go, to subside yeah. just let them go it's not and like i can say this now and it's like oh yeah it's, it's super easy to do that it's not it's like it's yeah. really really it takes di- it's it a takes really time. really difficult thing it's to a process. do it's, it's a, a process. really difficult thing to do but you, it's a skill as well and this kind of then feeds back into mindfulness mm. and having a meditative practice having a mindfulness practice whereby you can take that step back whereby you can drive that wedge between your thoughts and your consciousness so when i i've been practicing some form of mindfulness meditation for a good few years now not as regularly as i would like but i mean at home you mean exactly at home yes yeah, like mm. 10 minutes a day majority of the days um and the way that i heard it described is it is a way that you can expand the space between your thoughts so more often than not when people first start getting into this practice your your consciousness your thoughts are this constant stream of chatter just yeah. going over and over and over and over and over and in the background and that's it can be overwhelming like you've just got this noise that just mm. doesn't stop somewhere in your head and then again i feel very fortunate um in that i've had some fairly emotionally traumatic experiences in my life so example like the marines leaving the marines that was tough breakups stuff like that you emotionally traumatic experiences are hugely beneficial in terms of showing you that that space exists because if you are in a if you are confronted with something that you know that you cannot keep thinking about in the same way you have to find that space so you can look at it from a different perspective. Mm. So mindfulness for me is expanding that space. So then you can spend more time consciously in that space. So you can see the thoughts, you can observe them, you can partake of them if you so wish. You can indulge those fantasies or indulge those thoughts. You can hold on to those emotions if you wish, but then you have the space to step back into it. It's like, okay, cool. I've run with that as far as I want to. Step back from it, let it go and let these things kind of wash over you another way that i heard it explained was if you if you imagine that your consciousness is if you are sat on the side of a road and you are watching the traffic go by and you have this mm-hmm. street constant stream of traffic coming by i heard that yeah so you I have this that. constant stream of traffic coming by app. headspace yeah. is fantastic yeah, that was my introductory one but yeah. you have this constant stream of traffic coming by and you can have a soft focus just kind of looking at the road and you can see all of the traffic flowing but then all of a sudden there could be like a really loud bike or a really loud car and you get your attention drawn to that and you focus on it and as you focus on it you lose absolutely everything else that is going on and then all of a sudden you come back and you don't really know what's going on because everything has shifted so much because mm. you've been so myopically focused, focused on, on that one particular object that one particular car that one particular bike mm. that one particular thought that you don't necessarily know where you are and you lose that clarity and then it's being able to lose the focus except that you focused it except that you focused on this be able to relinquish the focus and then bring that soft focus back so then you're looking at the whole road again and you can see all the traffic mm. so we should keep the, the wide yeah. 
Why well, vision all the time? No? And that's not to say that you shouldn't focus on some things because some thoughts you really do need to focus well, on. Well, yeah, to work, like to exactly. Exactly. do stuff, project and go, But like, then on. once you realize that you can do it both ways, it's not just a case of being able to maintain this soft focus and let things pass you by, that you can flip it on its head and you can use that same thing to focus specifically on one thought. So I want to get this thing done. Oh, there's a distraction yeah. over there. But then you can bring your focus, your attention back to that thought. Then it becomes something else entirely. Because then like, you don't have distractions because you're distracted, but then you bring it back. It's in mm. the same way that I'm focusing on all of my thoughts, but then this one's putting me off, but then I'm going to relax and let it go. It's the other side of it. So you can do it the other way too. Mm-hmm. And that's awesome. That's a lot of fun. It's awesome, but... It's exhausting. Yes. I mean, it's exhausting, but you have to learn it and Mm -hmm. apply it every day and be consistent and be, you know, dedicated to that. Because so, because you have all this knowledge, but most of the people don't even know who they are, what they want. They don't know all this. They don't Mm. know how to. And this is how I think where people get, yeah, anxious, um, and especially in those times of being at home with yourself. Mm, yeah. Like I talk to people they were freaking out. They're like, my, oh my God, I'm staying in my house all day. I can't do that. Like, and they're starting to become crazy, yeah. you know? And, and uh, I think this happens to a lot of people. Like they, they were scared of being at home, but being like, um, as if they're, liberty was taken away mm, their freedom yeah. was re- removed you know instead of i don't know they didn't see the side of oh you have the chance to be at home and relax and mm-hmm. enjoy whatever or do stuff you're just not doing um how like i don't know how to educate people with that in terms of 